you're listening to the really useful podcast this is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com My name's Christian Corley, he's Gavin Phillips, and this is a really useful podcast. This is the show which arrives in your podcast player every week, full of tips and tricks to help you make better use of the technology around you. It's a tech podcast for technophobes, as opposed to a tech podcast for techies. Gavin, how are you? Very well, Christian. Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> ah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm just looking at my um, looking around my office and noticing. I picked up a really nice bargain the other day in a uh, local branch of CEX. Um, which was the um, Star Wars Rebel Strike Rogue Squadron 3 for the Nintendo GameCube, which I um, I wasn't desperate for until I discovered that it's got a um, hidden Easter egg of the old Return of the Jedi arcade machine hidden in it. And then I thought, I'm going to have to get that as soon as I see it, otherwise I'm going to regret it later. And then you saw it? Well, I actually saw it a few weeks ago and I didn't get it in a completely different store. So... Um, and I don't know why I didn't get it that day. So I went to, um, I, I, I wasn't even looking for this the other day. I was looking for the Atari 50 compilation for the Nintendo Switch, which I got for £18. I spent £18 and got 100 games. Absolute bargain. That's insane, it. isn't it? Yeah. yeah absolutely. So I, and, and then I got Rebel Strike Rogue Squadron 3 for an extra 12. So I spent 30 quid on 101, well, and if that extra Star Wars machine game's in there, 102 games. That is very, very impressive. That is a lot of gaming for a minimum amount of money. It is, isn't it? It's good. It's good. It's good. How are you? How's your weekend been? My weekend's been uh, pretty good, actually. You know what I did? I took the plunge and I bought, similarly to the games, I bought F1 2023. Oh. Uh, and I've been avoiding the F1 games for quite a few years now because I felt like they've kind of gone a bit backwards. Um, and there are a lot of issues with some of the other ones that I've watched on YouTube. But I was like, yeah. you know what? The Champions Edition version, like the top tier edition, was on sale on Steam for less than the normal version. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Uh, and I've had an absolute blast playing it for the last two days. It's been really good fun. I think the biggest thing that I found is that it's actually really accessible on a controller. I have uh, a full racing wheel, um, but it's a bit of a pain to get out all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that you can actually get stuck into it and really enjoy it on a regular, you know, Xbox controller is yeah. really good. It's I really, really um, good fun. I haven't played that type of game. Ask me when I played that type of game. When was the last time? About 1994. It was the <laughs> Micro Pros Formula One Grand Prix game. Oh, be uh, Grand Prix Two. By Jeff Crammond. I guarantee it was because that was it one was of Jeff my Crammond. time famous. Yep, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I, I enjoyed that game a lot. Um, it, you know, it didn't have the greatest frame rate, although I believe with accelerators it looks really good on the Amiga now, uh, comparatively speaking. I liked it. I like the driving bit more than the setup bit. I find that a lot with, yeah. with, uh, with video racing games, actually. I don't like the setup bit. I just like picking a car and driving it. Yeah, you just want to get stuck straight into the exactly. fun, don't you? Yeah. Almost as an aside, the, that game, despite being made in 1994, has an absolutely phenomenal modding scene. Really? Uh, and it's, yeah, it's absolutely massive and is still played 
today by like loads of people with modern cars you know modern graphics liveries hd mods all this sort of stuff like it's got an enormous mod all of jeff crammon's uh grand prix racing games have grand prix two three and four particularly wow well do you know what whilst we're just talking about retro games it's probably worth mentioning that sega is giving away its uh, sega base fishing game if you sign up to its newsletter, sign up to their newsletter. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was yeah. good. I think I'm right in saying the Dreamcast version was ported to Steam about 12 years ago, and I think it's that version. But basically, you um, you sign up to their newsletter uh, before July 31st. You confirm the email address is correct as you sign up to the newsletter, as you would with any newsletter these days, and then they send you the Steam key on August the 1st for free, which is pretty good, isn't it? That is pretty good. And... Despite the millions of free games that <laughs> most of us now have on Steam and Epic and so on and so forth, who hasn't got room for just one more? <laughs> well, it's a fishing game as well, so it's a little bit different. It's not like a shooter or a racing game or a platformer. It is actually quite a unique and interesting and individual game, so it's worth checking out. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it. Okay, uh, let's move on to the tech news that matters to how you use your tech and uh, how you interact with the internet and things. And it's that man again, Elon Musk, who has declared, we kind of, I mean, he's mentioned this before, so it wasn't it hasn't come as a complete surprise, but he has um, confirmed that he's getting rid of the bird logo for Twitter. And it appears to be that... Um, Eventually, Twitter is actually going to be not called Twitter anymore. It's going to be called X. I think it's a bit silly. The name is is very silly. It's sort of, I don't know, it's just smacks of I would like to be a bit edgy. Um, I, I just don't really get it. Oh, yeah, let me just go on to X to check the news. Or Yeah, it sounds wrong, doesn't it? It doesn't it's... work. It doesn't work. It's got no flow to it. It's a single letter. It's a single phonetic sound. It's a very silly thing, in my opinion. <laughs> the um, we, I mean, we've mentioned this before with um, Facebook and Meta, and I guess with Google and Alphabet. And I think if there's any time when the idea for a new name needs to perhaps sit above the very famous name that already exists, it's here. Why can't yes. Twitter be part of XCore? rather than it just be called X. Yeah, perhaps I mean perhaps they will like revise it and that might be the way it works because X is going to be the coverall name for Elon Musk's vision for an all-in-one uh, super app, isn't it? So yeah. maybe yeah. you open X and you still go to Twitter, although maybe that'll change to something like X chat or or something like that. But um yeah, it's it's I don't know, it it just doesn't sit right with me. No, it, it is not a uh, thing. And, it, you know, Elon Musk has been uh, observed as uh, spending quite a lot of time on the um, platform that he spent a lot of money for. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't have any problem with the amount that he tweets. He, he's paid for it, so, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, his um, recent hire, um, Linda Yaccarino, has uh, also tweeted the X logo as well and the name of the business being changed to Xcore. This thing is happening. I mean, the whole idea of an all-in-one app... I don't have a huge issue with um, it makes things a lot easier in many ways but at the same time if you've got some sort of privacy or security issue it's a single point of failure isn't it which I guess is another matter entirely 
and a different conversation entirely, but it is worth thinking about, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a massive privacy issue that I think we've seen a lot um, in places where these apps already exist, specifically even, say, somewhere like China. There's not a lot that can be necessarily done about privacy issue and the infringement of government into personal lives and what have you. Thankfully, I was going to say we're not quite there yet in the West, but we're, you know, rapidly barreling towards it. And apps like this will only push it further along the line, won't it? It certainly seems that way. Now, you might think to yourself, well, it doesn't matter. I'll stop using Twitter and go to one of those awesome alternatives like Threads. Because uh, you might think, oh, well, there's Threads now. Well, I can go go and hang out with Mark Zuckerberg on Threads rather than that Elon Musk on Twitter. No, the wonderful Mark Zuckerberg. Isn't he a wonderful, isn't he? If we had some sort of um, Halo-ish sort of noise on here, I would play it. That doesn't do it. Um, I mean, it's complete. Don't get me wrong. It's completely appropriate for Mark Zuckerberg. But um, anyway, Threads has lost 75% of its traffic just 15 days after launch. It has been repeated this weekend. That's a bit of a... Um, I mean, Threads was marketed as a Twitter killer, reports Mint, but uh, that's a bit of a Threads killer, isn't it? That's phrase. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I believe uh, it was just last week we said this is exactly what's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the way that the sign-up process works which is to go through your instagram account has turned a lot of people off because it's linked directly to your instagram once you get over there the accounts you follow are typically the same ones as you would follow on instagram so you're already following them it's just another method of getting their information in your face and uh, again as we sort of said last week why do you need another social media network to follow the exact same people as you're already following on twitter so the massive numbers of people that signed up for threads when it launched um i'm guessing nearly two three weeks ago now was always going to drop off and it was always going to go into a nose uh, nosedive because it's not a twitter killer in any way it's just a glorified extension to instagram yeah it's, um, I mean, as, as, as we said, it's uh, not a big surprise it's nosedived. Uh, whether it ever recovers from that is another matter entirely. I don't think it will, unless, you know, the rest of the internet dies and all that's left mm. is Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I can't see it recovering, but, you know, maybe, maybe Mark Zuckerberg will um, offer free brain implants to it or something. Well, I was going to say, I think part of the problem as well, Christian, is that it doesn't actually occupy any specific niche. No. It's, it Other than the I hate Elon Musk niche. Yeah, precisely. And that's the only reason it was actually designed and launched. And launched very specifically when it did, which was at a time where people were really getting angry uh, at Musk and what he was doing at Twitter. And if you note, there's been a lot less anger towards Elon Musk in the three weeks or so <laughs> following the Threads launch. Everyone's gone, oh, yeah, Twitter's not great but everything else really sucks in comparison so yeah rather than being like we're going to steal all your traffic they've actually done musk a favor yeah yeah okay we're going to move on this is an interesting one brazil's Embraer is planning to build an electric flying taxi factory near sao paulo reports the bbc i um i have big issues with this technology these aren't just flying taxis let's just quote qualify this these are electric flying taxis that could be dropping out of the sky without warning across <laughs> brazil's capital there is obviously a case 
to develop electric drive technology on the ground and in the air. Uh, but I'm really concerned about this, I have to say. I, uh, I'm i kind of the opposite, actually, Christian. I think this sounds absolutely awesome. And uh-huh. if next time I went to London, for example, there was the option to, you know, you pull up an Uber on your phone and it's yeah. like, would, would you like a sedan or would you like a slightly posher car? Or would you like an electric flying taxi? <laughs> like, yeah, I think I'll take an electric flying taxi, actually. Thank you. How are you going to get in it? How? How are you going to get oh, in be- it? Who? What? <laughs> Who am I going to get in it? Now, how are you going to get into the taxi? Oh, how am I going to get into it? Yeah, where's it going to well, land? I, pres- I presume it'll have a nice little landing pad somewhere, um, you know, down well, that you the walk river to. or something. Yeah. So you're going to walk to the taxi? Yeah, and then get the taxi somewhere else. Can you just walk somewhere else? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could have jumped on the tube as well. But, yeah. You know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll come with a rope ladder. Yeah, but, you know, this is just the day I'm in London. I'm feeling flush and <laughs> I want to drop $100 on a taxi. <laughs> I want to tangle for a, a rope ladder for 500 metres. Exactly, yeah. Very, very dramatic. Very James Bond. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All signs that this technology is um, something that is achievable within the next decade. But I'm still not convinced that it is going to be safe. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, it, I'm, look, I'll be honest, right? I don't think it's going to work until there is technology that is literally anti-gravity technology. I don't think electric propulsion that we have now with propellers and electric motors, I don't think that's the answer. I think a new, a new material a new element that is actually anti-gravity is the answer to these solutions, uh, is the solution to something like this. That, that's my feeling. And I know we don't have that material yet, but I think we need that material for these things to be safe. Yeah, you could be right. I know um, there's a lot of interest in, uh, I'm guessing these are going to be like EV tolls, uh, electric vertical takeoff yeah. aircraft. There's a lot of interest in oh this my God. Of, uh, technology and a lot of stuff. So, for example, uh, at CES 2023 earlier in this year, there were quite a few different companies um, showing off their prototype aircraft. Uh, one of them, I believe, even took flight whilst we were there. Um, so it is tech that's quite rapidly advancing. Whether or not this project in Brazil uh, actually gets to the point where it's carrying real humans in the air uh, is another issue. So when whilst Gavin was talking there, I just looked at the artist's impression of how the future aircraft might look in flight. And then Gavin said the word VTOL, uh, which is an abbreviation, an acronym. And it set my mind onto something from the past. Now, in the UK, we have a toy called Action Man, which is like related to G.I. Joe. And in the late 70s, in 1978, there was a thing called a Pursuit Craft released, which was a um, very cool toy that this 12-inch figure could sit in and it converted from, like, a car to an aeroplane. You could just, like, take pieces off and put them back on, what have you. And now I had this toy, and one of its functions was as a VTOL. And the, the similarities between the toy that I've just shared with Gavin and this artist's impression are quite considerable. They are. Uh, <laughs> it's quite interesting, yeah. <laughs> That's to say, Action Man just nailed the design back in 1970. Well, maybe, like. yeah. <laughs> maybe it's that. Okay, <laughs> uh, we're going to move on to something a little more serious now. Um, Apple is um, back with the whole um, 
we're going to pull this app if you add backdoors to encryption thing. Only this time it's with the UK government and it's an online safety bill, which um, has been the cause of consternation for a lot of people over the past few months as it's in various attempts to... I mean, we're basically talking about politicians. The people that are deciding on this online safety bill are the completely wrong people to be deciding on this online safety bill. They don't appear to have a single clue. Um, Boing Boing has reported that Apple, along with other messaging services like WhatsApp and Signal are voicing opposition to the proposed legislation. Um, British cybersecurity expert Professor Alan Woodward from Surrey University said the technology companies were unlikely to accept the government's proposals. There is a degree of arrogance and ignorance from the government if they believe some of the larger tech companies will comply with the new requirements without a major fight, he added. It is... um, This whole thing of backdoors to encryption, it's, it's incredibly naive, isn't it? Oh, it's just ludicrous that this conversation comes up every few years with the whole idea that the government thinks they could force a secret backdoor. You know, not that they've managed to keep it secret, because I don't know if they know that they've talked about it in the news quite a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the whole idea that they could create a secret backdoor that only they would have access to, and they would be able to scan the messages to make sure there was no illegal content in them and what have you. It's just beyond stupid. It makes no sense. And for all of the issues that companies like Apple, Meta, etc. have, for them to quite clearly say, if you do this, we will pull out of the UK, is the completely right move. And as much as it would bother me that I couldn't use those messaging services because they're good and I use them all the time, uh, it's the only way to send a clear message. Because let's not forget... We've just had a whole thing in the UK surrounding the use of WhatsApp messages by our Prime Minister, former Prime Minister and so on, and all the messages that they send using WhatsApp all of the time. So would it be a special backdoor for the plebs? Or is it just a special backdoor that everybody has? Or or how would it work in practical terms? The answer is they can't tell you because it's so ludicrously stupid. We're going to move on to the tips and tricks in this week's really useful podcast. And uh, we're going to kick off with uh, something from me, which is um, tips on installing a dash cam, which is uh, something that's come back round into my uh, field of view, as it were, recently, because I've been reviewing, attempting to review a dash cam. And um, do you know what? It appears to be too heavy for the display, for the the, um, windshield. Too heavy? How much does it weigh? <laughs> I, I'm not entirely sure. It's it is. A, it, I mean, I'll be honest. It is quite a big uh, dash cam, and it is possibly the heaviest I've um, used recently. I'm not going to give any names right at the moment because it is ho- hopefully something that I can uh, solve one way or another. But uh, there's something wrong with the mounting procedure with this dash cam. It might be something with the 3M strip. It might be something to do with the uh, the GPS mount or whatever. I'm not entirely sure at the moment, but it's become a bit of a pain. So I thought to myself, uh, well, let's just go back to um, the whole um, dash cam mounting thing. So I um, created a list of um, the best um, tips and tricks for installing a dash cam in your car um, a few years ago. So I thought, let's revisit this. So um, let's just go through this now. Um, Now, the process of installing a dash cam can be completed following three general steps which you check if the camera has an internal battery and charge it first of all you establish the best position for the dash cam 
you compare this with access to the power supply and then you route and hide the cable in an effective manner uh, around your windshield so that you aren't distracted by it because obviously there are you know there's driving rules and things and uh, if there's anything in front of it that can distract you uh, any cables hanging or anything like that then uh, you're going to get into trouble so um yeah charge the dashcam battery find the best place to install the dashcam check the cable length for power supply access then route clip and hide the cable now in addition to these steps i would add and i probably will at some point clean the inside of your windshield as well because if that's, oh, that's always a good idea yeah because yeah, if that's dirty then it's not going to adhere correctly now the um adherence isn't a problem that i have here because i'm actually using one of those um static sheets and that's attached to the dash uh to the windshield first and then the dash cam mount attaches to that and it's actually the dash cam mount's coming off the the, the static sheet so that's how i know the problem is with the mount and the adhesive and not the windshield but uh yeah it's a big pain for me at the moment i really don't because I, I got to the point where i was actually driving around with no dash cam because my existing dash cam i'd i'd actually moved it because i thought <laughs> it got to the point where i thought maybe the problem is there's just too much curvature in my windshield <laughs> <laughs> so i actually moved my dash cam disconnected my dash cam took it off completely and put this other dash cam there fell off there as well so yeah not impressed if this um, persists, it will appear in a review, and I'll discuss that in a few weeks' time. But um, for the meantime, yes. Uh, I mean, you know, installing a dash cam should be straightforward, and, you know, it doesn't always have to go on the windshield. You could, as I'm possibly going to do, mount it on the actual dashboard, point at the window, and use, hopefully, the correct settings in the app to uh, rotate the picture. But, uh, yeah, it's been a bit big pain for me over the weekend. That's uh, frustrating, because you... Th- think for the most part bar wiring the putting it on the windscreen should be the easiest part of the entire job shouldn't it yeah it should and you know i mean i've i don't know how many dash cams i've reviewed now but it's got to be around the 10 area um if that's not how many i've reviewed it's certainly how many i've used so this is the first time i've had this problem so okay um can i uh, can i ask a question because you're quite well versed with with dash cams go on then Attaching it to the dashboard area itself create maybe more vibration than on the windscreen? Is that something that makes a difference? It's possible. I've never done it that way before. Okay. I've always gone for windshield, so I'm. Uh, if I have to do it that way, then that is something I've, I've already mentioned that to our uh, reviews editor, that uh, that might be a consideration. But we'll g- I'm going to give it a try, because they do tend to have some sort of... Um, uh what's the, there's a word for it isn't there the um Im- image stabilization feature so yes yeah um built in so that shouldn't be a major issue but you know the other thing is having it upside down essentially and the mount upside down that might affect the gps reception as well i don't know yeah it could do because i'm guessing the receivers are going to be built into the top yeah they are they're built into the mountain and then they face the sky way, yeah it? exactly yeah. yeah ah interesting to know Okay, it's recommendations time, that part of the show, in which we uh, share with you something that we've enjoyed, experienced in a digital form, or maybe some piece of hardware, or whatever. I'm going to go first. I'm just going to go back to what I uh, talked about uh, earlier in the show, the Atari 50 compilation. Uh, it was released last year to celebrate 50 years of Atari's vast um, impact on gaming, largely the retro scene. Uh, obviously, there's been the Atari VCS more recently, but we're talking 
games and arcade machines here. There's such a lot in there. I've spent an inordinate amount of time playing uh, Crystal Castles. Um, I've never played it that much outside of an arcade machine because the actual arcade machine version is on there and it plays perfectly. Um, I also played the Atari 2600 version of it, which is ghastly. Um, in comparison, I was never a fan of the Atari 2600. Someone I went to primary school with had an Atari, either 2600 or 5200. And I remember the old uh, Superman game. He showed me the Superman game once. And I thought it was absolutely horrendous. It was the worst thing I'd ever clapped eyes on. And I had like a, I had one of those very basic European Pong machines at home. And I thought that was better than the Superman game on the Atari 2600. Uh, but I digress. There is so many. That, as I said, there's 100 games on this. There's also unlockable games as well. I'm not sure how you unlock them at the moment. But they are there. They, they're specifically there. And they're uh, ready to be unlocked. So there's 100 games before you get to the unlocks. Um, it's just such a vast collection of games. Everything, I think everything published by Atari, including th some things that weren't actually published, are in that collection. If you don't have it already and you're interested in retro gaming, you really should have it. It's such a good collection. And, Gavin, I didn't even tell you this bit. It's not just games on there. There's interviews with people involved with the development of these machines. Oh, games. that is cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's just such a love letter, admittedly by Atari, to Atari. But, um, <laughs> you know, on the other hand, the Atari of 2023 bears very little resemblance to the Atari of, you know, 1978 or beyond that time. So um, it, it's basically a name that's owned by someone um, and a collection of properties are owned by someone as opposed to being a direct lineage. But um, it's certainly, you know, if you're interested in retro games or you have an affinity with Atari or you like arcade machines or if you just want 100 games for a good price at the moment, get that collection. Ah, that sounds incredibly good. Yeah, I like the sound of that. What have you got? Um, I've actually got I've got two smaller things this week, Christian. I've not got one big thing, um, as I've been to a million kids' parties this week, <laughs> last week, so I've not had much time to get my hands on any new hardware or anything. So, oh. um, I've got uh, the Cherry MX Keyboard Switch Experience Box, which um, I've had on my desk actually for a few weeks, but it's the first time I've really unpacked it and got into it. Um, and those who don't know what this is, uh, Cherry MX make mechanical keyboard switches. So that's a switch that lives inside a mechanical keyboard. When you press it, it registers the key, um, the key that you've pressed on your on your computer. Uh, yeah. uh, but there are many, many different types of switches. Um, and one thing that trick uh, is tricky for people when they're buying a mechanical keyboard is that they don't know which type of switch they want to choose or buy or use. So Cherry have come up with this idea that you can have an experience box. Uh, this costs $10 and it comes with 10 different mechanical keyboard switches in. Um, some of featuring some of Cherry's most popular switch options, including uh, red, blue, brown, speed, silver, silent red, black, black, clear top, ergo clear, green and grey. Now, this is admittedly a little niche, <laughs> but it's quite good if you've never actually used a keyboard switch and you just really want to get into it, but you've got no idea what they feel like, to have a little go on all of the different types and then you can figure out 
what you want and they come in a very nice neatly organized box um and yeah so that's ten dollars and uh, it gives you a good idea of of every type of switch you could possibly want mm. the other thing i was going to talk about is a tablet i am currently reviewing called the n1 end pad x uh, and this isn't so much a recommendation as a something um to watch out for right uh and it's not necessarily specific just to this tablet but it's this tablet that has made me aware of it um and it is a widevine drm <laughs> which is a type of digital rights management tool uh built into many android devices and it yeah. basically comes in three levels uh level one level two and level three a level one device can play all streaming content at 1080p and 4k so that's ideal what you want uh, and it's linked directly to the hardware if your device doesn't have l1 widevine uh, it's different for ios devices i should add but for android devices if it doesn't have l1 widevine you won't be able to stream content in hd so i spent part of my saturday evening uh this weekend just gone trying to figure out how to get this tablet I was using to stream Netflix at 1080p, uh, despite it having uh, a 2000 pixel by 1200 pixel screen. So it should be able to do it perfectly fine. Yeah. There was no way around it. So the tablet is locked to a maximum of 540p um, resolution, which is... What? Like really, really quite shocking these days when you try and watch a show you're used to watching in full HD or 4K to have it suddenly bashed down to 540p. It's quite a shock. So don't think this happens all too often. And the tablet in question um, is, I think, from a, uh, a Chinese manufacturer. So that could be part of it. But it's something that the listeners may want to be aware of. And it's worth checking before you buy your next tablet. Wow, yeah, definitely check that out because uh, that could um, lead to a bit of heartache later on, couldn't it? And, uh, well, yeah. Okay, well, thanks for those uh, recommendations, Gavin, there, and tips. Uh, we're going to leave it there for this week's Really Useful Podcast. As ever, everything we've mentioned, you'll find in the show notes with uh, useful links for you to uh, follow it up. If we've um, told you anything useful or that someone you know would find useful, please uh, share it with them. And uh, if you can leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, that would be marvellous as well. And if it's a five-star review, we'll read it out, so you'll get your name on the show. Um, that might appeal to some people rather than others. <laughs> oh, he's, he's reading my name out! Um, <laughs> Quick, Mum! <laughs> yes! So uh, we'll be back for a new show next week with new tips and tricks. Um, until then, it's goodbye from us. 